It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. This is Lighthouse Faith Podcast, moving forward in truth and love. I'm Lauren Green, Chief Religion Correspondent for Fox News Channel and author of the book, Lighthouse Faith. Uh, Sad but true, there are an estimated 20 suicides a day among veterans. It's a statistic that is ignored in a world really focused on athletes' mental health right now and politicians' dalliances, but our veterans are hurting, and they have been for decades. But there are those who are offering hope for those suffering from post-traumatic stress and all that entails. Um, They can find relief for their pain and their anguish and depression that's ruining their lives and destroying their relationships. Chad Robichaud is the founder of Mighty Oaks Foundation. It's a program that combines faith and fortitude to help veterans navigate the the murky waters of re-entering life back home. Nothing is normal um, after the horrors they witness. Chad knows this because as a force recon Marine, he served eight deployments in Afghanistan. He's also a winning uh, MMM um, martial arts fighter uh, with a black belt in jujitsu. And he, he almost became one of those suicide statistics because in fighting the traumas of the post battlefield stress, Chad, as the foreword of his new book says, found an enemy that he could not overcome by just being stronger, faster, and tougher than the adversary. Chad's book is called An Unfair Advantage, Victory in the Midst of Battle, and he joins me now. Welcome, Chad. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you for having me on. Well, it's actually a pleasure to have you on, and I'm sorry I didn't have you on sooner, and this is a a mighty book, actually. Uh, uh, Why do you call it an unfair advantage? Well, you know, there's there's, uh, many things that I tried to get well when I came home from Afghanistan and dealt with, you know, anxiety, depression, debilitating panic attacks. Uh, near divorce and in a in a suicide attempt, uh, and and uh, of all those things I tried, you know, medication, VA programs, uh, counseling, even successful uh, success as a professional athlete, uh, none of those things worked until I made a decision to align my life with the life that I believe God created me to live through a relationship with Christ. And I believe that you know, as I look backwards uh, of my life and the, and the battles that we all face in life, I believe that when you have a relationship with Christ in the front end, you have an unfair advantage to the hardships of life, to overcome those uh, hardships of life and uh, not face the same you know, pitfalls that I faced um, by having those things on, on the front end. And uh, so uh, I, I like, I've like i been taking the lessons that I've learned on, on the back end of my hardships and uh, sharing with uh, the generation, next generation of warriors. Yeah, I mean, I was really touched by um, the foreword by uh, Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin, um, and he really, really called it his own. And he was talking about his... Um, his cousin, I guess it was like a, a cousin second removed because it was his, his father's cousin that returned from World War uh, II, uh, really a broken man. I mean, one of these people that you, know, you just grew up, oh, you know, cousin Alden is, you know, kind of a drunk and, you know, just a, kind of a crazy person. But, you know, back then they called it shell shock. Back then they sort of had a word for it. It's like, oh, it's just shell shock. But they didn't take it like the seriousness of really what it was, this sort of debilitating um, depression and uh, and horror from you know which there was really f- so little um, hope for uh, and 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 recovery from right. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, the different names throughout history, you know, Shell Shot, Nostalgia, Soldier's Heart, uh, all these different things. I mean, you go all the way back to the, the, the Psalms and you see, you know, King David crying out in, in anguish because of the hardships of battle that he faced uh, in his life. And uh, so, so many things over the years, but, you know, I, I believe you know, as the years have went by and, and people face uh, PTSD or whatever it was called during the, their season, uh, the really true way to get well has been through uh, aligning our lives with the lives we were created to live and having a relationship with the creator. And, you know, uh, I, I believe there's lots of need for other forms of care. I believe, you know, mm-hmm. there's mm-hmm. clinical care and there's a need for medication. I'm not opposed to medication, uh, but there's a need for good counseling and psychologists, but, and, and all those different things. But I believe at the core trauma, combat trauma, or just trauma in general is a spiritual wound and a spiritual wound does require a spiritual solution. And, uh, you know, like I said, for me personally, I had tried everything else and I've, and, and nothing else worked until I found that spiritual remedy. Uh, you know, the VA, uh, if you hear me a lot on media, uh, sometimes mm-hmm. I bash the VA because of a you know dysfunction of the big government system of the VA. But the truth is, the VA does have really good programs to heal people's body. They have great uh, clinicians that really care and want to help and help mentor and people and heal their minds. But until you heal heal someone's soul, right. they're never really going to be well. And and I believe the only way to really heal someone's soul is through relationship with Christ. Well, I wanted to ask you, like, why is it that the VA, with all its money, with all its power, with all its structure, really has not been effective in dealing with this post-traumatic stress? Why? Yeah, so, so um, if I give you a little bit of history on this, um, this would definitely sound like a politically canted uh, conversation, but it really it's just the facts of how it laid out. In 2001, President Bush signed the uh, Opportunity in, in Faith Initiative, which allowed faith programs within the VA and DOD. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then in 2009, so there's faith pro- and community programs like alternative programs, inner right. cities, stuff right. like that. They all existed under President Bush's administration. In 2009, uh, President Obama, and I can't speak for his motive, but he signed a, an executive order to remove the faith uh, programs from the VA and DOD. And, and when he did that, at the time, the suicide rate was 16 a day. Uh, these faith and programs were really helping. Uh, we've seen an immediate kind of uptick in suicides in a period of two years. It went from 16 a day to 22 a day. And, uh, they had, and during that time, they also had spent billions of dollars and a clinical program stood up 1,500 new clinical programs in a period of two years after removal of faith programs spiked from 16 to 22. And so in 2016, during uh, the, the campaign of, of Hillary Clinton and, uh, and Donald Trump, I had an opportunity to speak at a town hall and uh, where President Trump or candidate Trump at the time was. And I was one of six veterans that was allowed to ask him any, any question I wanted. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and at this time, I was doing the, the work in Mighty Oaks and seeing the results of faith programs. And I'd really learned how the VA and DOD had had uh, been been hamstrung by this executive order President Obama signed. So I could ask it, President Candidate Trump any question, and the question I asked him was that if he became President of the United States, would he remove uh, would he would he remove that executive order and sign an executive order, bring back faith and uh, an opportunity uh, the opportunity initiative that President Bush had initially signed? And he said yes. Uh, in fact, uh, he said yes, and then kept on saying other things and uh, <laughs> it really spun what he said. And I ended up on, on Fox, on, on Bill O'Reilly's show, uh, really sticking, standing up for what the president really said. And, uh, and, and then uh, that led me into a relationship with uh, being on the VA transition team. And I got to hold president Trump accountable to that choice that, that, that saying yes, yeah. he gets that executive order uh, in the prevents bill. I was part of the, I was, uh, I chaired the 
White House faith-based uh, programs uh, initiative. And I got to see the prevents bill include faith programs. Um, and so we had made a lot of policy changes. Uh, those were just under implementation, however, during the, the recent uh, election and change of administration. So some of those things may stick. Some of them haven't uh, stuck. The, the, the military as a whole has been very, very uh, careful with how they define faith and, and inclusively mm-hmm. of all religions. And it, it's been it's been very uh, uh, much a, a, a topic that people in the military, including the chaplaincy, is afraid of. And uh, fortunately for organizations like mine and Mighty Oaks Foundation, we've been able to go in and, uh, and, and do what the military hasn't been able to do. We've been able to go in and do what the VA hasn't been able to do and really able to go in and define spirituality and what it means and what it doesn't mean. Um, in the last 10 mm-hmm. years, I've been able to speak to 250,000 active duty troops at bases around the world by invitation of bases around the world and speak on suicide prevention, on uh, combat readiness, on spiritual resiliency. The Marine Corps lets me go to Marine Corps boot camp every quarter for the last six years and speak to these young, brand new kids, uh, say kids, these young, young men, women, them on spiritual resiliency and define what it means, what it's meant in my life and how having a strong spiritual foundation helped me overcome the things that I faced. You know, I wanted to know how the VA is under the Biden administration. Um, you know, Joe Biden, you know, always touts his Catholic faith and his faith is important to him. How has it been, uh, these faith-based kind of initiatives in the military and the chaplaincies within the military? How has it been under Biden, Biden's rule? Well, you know, uh, it's it's still a little early to tell uh, because not because uh because they've really been quiet about what they, they really just have not even uh, spoken up on. Uh, I can tell you this, the Office of Faith and Opportunity Program in the VA uh, has not been allowed to participate in almost anything since the new administration. They were really getting involved with VSOs, veteran service organizations like mm-hmm. mine early uh, during the Trump administration. They were going out to advance. They were interacting with these faith-based veterans programs. And now that uh, the administration has changed, they haven't been shut down. They haven't been defunded, but what they have to do is they have to get White House permission. And what I understand is the only office in the VA that has to get specific White House permission for the spending of their budget or to attend any any uh, any veterans nonprofit events. And uh, so they pretty much have been, um, you know, because of red tape and, and more restrictions on them, they pretty much have been, you know, just unoperative. They haven't really been participating. And uh, so I don't know what they're going to do. They haven't came back and said they're going to. Uh, sign an executive order to remove faith programs. Uh, the office is still open, but we've just seen uh, the lack of participation and, uh, and the knowledge I have without throwing anybody under the bus and getting their, to lose their job over this. Uh, the, the knowledge I have is that anything they try to do, they have to get White House permission to do it, wow. which wow. is abnormal of any other office in the VA. You know, you you uh, dedicate this book to helping men rise up and be the warriors that God created them to be. What are those warriors um, when you when you describe the warriors that God intended for men to be? Well, I, you know, I, I wrote this book specifically to men, and uh, you know, and to the ladies out there listening, and to yourself, I apologize for that. <laughs> I, I, I had to pick a specific audience, and you know, I feel like my story really resonates with men. But, you know, I believe we all are created to be uh, warriors and to fight our own, you know, different battles and, and what the gifts and talents that God has created each of us individually for. We all have strengths and weaknesses and gifts and talents. And in the, in those gifts and talents, I believe that God gave them to us to uh, be part of this spiritual battle that we're all you know, we're born into. Whether you are a person of faith or not or believe you're in a spiritual battle or not, 
just because you didn't believe it, don't believe it. You definitely are in a spiritual battle. I mean, you could look at the you know world around us right now, and it's hard to deny that we're in a, a very real spiritual battle. And and I believe that we're all not just military people, but we were all born in that battle, and we we're all equipped to be warriors and use those gifts and talents to to win you know win this battle for the kingdom of God. And you 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 say it in the right words too, because men particularly are not inclined to admit that there is a spiritual component to their life and that like you know you found out being um you know an officer i mean i mean mean, being in the army being the marines rather um seeing a service member that your strength could not take on certain kinds of enemies you know the the kind that are at within but men have this problem in general as well that they don't recognize the spiritual battle that's going on within themselves. Isn't that right, though? That is. You know, I, you know, when I went to Afghanistan, and uh, you know, I thought we were talking about this before the show. I, I had ten years of, of experience. Mm-hmm. I went to the Marine Corps at uh, at seventeen years old. I tried to be a reconnaissance marine. I made it to Force Recon at all the schools, all the training that you could have. I was a team leader at, at Third Force Recon. I remember watching. When I watch those planes fly under World Trade Center buildings, I'm like being in my job, being where I was. I'm like, my life is about to change. Like we're about to actually, and we were a peacetime military. I'm like, we're gonna go do what we've been trained to do, and we're gonna go. Whoever did this, we're gonna hold them responsible, and we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna win. You know, we, it was no doubt in my mind because I had so much training, so much experience. I knew what we were capable of, and I'm like, we're gonna set this right. And uh, and so going into Afghanistan, I went with so much confidence. And I can say that everyone I served with, you know, I tried out for a JSOC task force, with Joint Special Operations Command Task Force, worked with the premier special operations unit, and the guys I worked with all felt the same way. And uh, and we went there and we did our job and uh, and did it well. I can name hundreds of combat missions that I was on to either capture or kill bad guys that were responsible for 9-11 or, or for terrorist at, uh, jihadist attacks around the world. And uh, I could uh, those hundreds of missions, I can't name one that was a failure. But I look back at my life and the life of those, all these amazing, you know, all these amazing just, you know, special operators that I worked with. And uh, while we were successful in the battlefield, so many of them have killed themselves, uh, mm. suicide, have had PTSD so bad that some of them are in mental institutions. Many of them are in jail or alcoholics, uh, drug addicts and, or divorced their families, estranged from their children. And, and I look back now and I think like, how could we, this group of just such amazing, I, I was, at, I was at the pinnacle of special operations. The guys I worked with were just so incredible. Navy cross recipients, like, you know, silver star recipients. Yeah. From, like, oh, these amazing people doing these incredible things. How could we accomplish that? And then we come home they can't keep our, our mental health together, can't keep our families together, can't hold the job. Some of these guys can't hold the job. Uh, it, it's just crazy to me that we could win the, in one area of battle and not in another. And and uh, and I look at my life and I you know, I was when my first when I first started recognizing these symptoms for myself, it really started in a in a, a area of just really frustration mm-hmm. and anger. And I really I really kind of uh, quantified or that anger and frustration on the battlefield. I'm like I have to be this way. I have to be violent. I have to be mean. And, right. and my wife was like this, uh, you know, really strong woman of faith. And I'm like, like thinking 
you know, people of faith and, and men of like in church and stuff like that, those guys are weak. Like, yeah, I, right. So I, I really couldn't, I couldn't reconcile masculinity and Christianity. Yeah. Chad, let's take a break. Let's take a break right now here on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. We're talking with Chad Robichaud about his book, An Unfair Advantage, Victory in the Midst of, of, of Battle. Uh, we're going to take a, a break right now on Lighthouse Faith Podcast. We'll be right back. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back with uh, Chad Robichaud. He is the author of The Unfair Advantage, Victory in the Midst of, of Battle. They're talking about veterans battling PS, uh, P- PTSD and also your Mighty Oaks a foundation which helps men uh, understand their God-given, um, uh, uh, you know, qualities to be good warriors, and it's not the same kind of thing on the battlefield. And uh, Chad, you were talking about before the break just what what a lot of men brought home um, from the battlefield, and it wasn't what they expected. Um, why does this happen? And it has it been happening to the level? Um, that it is now. I mean, was it was World War Two just as bad as it was as it is today, and we just swept it under the under the rug, or was is there something wrong or more wrong today? I mean, are, are are people less spiritual, you know, or are the communities less held together? What's what's happening today if it's different from you know, you know, fifty years ago? I think you know to answer that, it's kind of where I left off was uh, me trying to reconcile that the the the, the Christianity and masculinity couldn't coexist. Yeah. And believing that people of faith are weak. So I chose to put faith out of my life, which I believe left a giant hole in my heart that I feel with rage and hate and anger and bitterness. And over the years, you know, that really took over me. And I look back, like to answer your question about World War II, I believe our culture was different. People had different values. Uh, the relationships where people had like fundamentally were raised with strong found, spiritual foundations. And that made people more spiritually resilient to the hardships of, of war and the things mm-hmm. they did. But also there's some there's some uh, pragmatic uh, factors too. I mean, uh, World War II, while it was just horrendous battles, I mean, we talk about you know th- beaches like you know like uh, you know Omaha Beach or Iwo Jima and things like that. I mean, there's horrendous battles. Yeah. They were they were shorter scale. Uh, you know now you know like I went I did eight deployments. There's some people that have done twenty deployments back uh, to back to back. I know guys that were retiring out of the military and never served during a peacetime military. Twenty years wow. of war. So wow. you, you look at World War II where people went, they did, uh, you know, maybe a, a, a month or two of actual combat. They took a long ship ride home with their buddies and decompressed. You know, now we're, you know, I would be in Afghanistan and um, 24 hours later, I'm back home with my wife and children, you know, trying to flip that switch and be, a, you know, husband and father and, and uh, just a Mr. Rogers, the friendly neighbor. Like I was still this angry, intense guy and, you know, my family really suffered that that having to deal with that no time for transition and anger and irritability and eventually manifest it uh, over time into these uh, physiological symptoms. Um, my arms were going down, my face would go down. I feel like my throat was swelling shut and I couldn't breathe. Like, uh, and you know, these early signs of panic attacks that I didn't want to address because I didn't want to ask for help. Cause I didn't want you know, people to think I was weak, but you know, maybe if that was like World War II back then you would not deploy again, reacclimate. But for me, I had to hold it together and, and, uh, and then we go deploy again. And then you deploy again, and, and in my last deployment, after eight times, you mm. know, ended up having a you know uh, twelve teammates captured and uh and killed. Ten of them were Afghans. Who might not sound like a big deal to some people listening, but these Afghans, these were my brothers. I like lived with them for like three years. They were my friends, and I loved them, and they loved me. And 
would have died for me and I would have died for them. And in fact, I do believe they did die for me. And uh, when they were killed, uh, I was holding on by a thread that thread broke and, and I came home and was diagnosed with PTSD and, and, uh, and went in a three year downward spiral that ended an almost a divorce in my family. And it with me sitting in a closet with a pistol in my hand, uh, in my apartment, uh, after I was separated from my family, just staring at these pictures, I put the f- pictures of my family on the floor around me and stare at those pictures, trying to build up the courage to pull the trigger. And, uh, oh my God. and, uh, as oh I'm looking at that, the pictures of my family, really just trying to say goodbye. And, you know, really the reason I ended up there is because this thought came over me and maybe my family would be sad without me, but they would be better off. And, and, uh, you know, unfortunately that same hopeless thought finds a home in the hearts of over 20 veterans a day. And I really believe that it was not me escaping my pain, but it was like the best thing to do for my family. And, uh, you know, I, I was committed wow. to taking my life, but every time I, every time I put that pistol to my head, Lauren, um, this overwhelming vision of who's going to find me would, it's like somebody was going to either hear the gunshot or I'd be missing. Someone would find me. And so my son, Hunter, who was 13 at the time, was the only one that had a key to my apartment. And I didn't want him to find me that way. So that was enough to pump the brakes in that moment. But wow. I was in such a dark place. The next day I was back trying to do it again. And it was one morning. Uh, I was in that closet with that pistol trying to build up the courage to do it. And my wife uh, unwittingly in- intervened. She knocked on the door uh, and she announced herself. And when she did, I... I hid that pistol under a blanket because I was probably ashamed. I don't know why I did it. She would never found it, but I threw it through the gun under a blanket. I answered the door and I started yelling at her because I was, it might sound weird, but I was so upset that she interrupted me trying to kill myself. Oh. And I'm just like yelling at her because she, in, uh, and in the middle of me yelling at her, she asked me a question that radically changed my life. I was like, well, Dad, how, how could you do everything you did in the Marine Corps? Uh, because she saw me become a recon Marine. She saw me do these schools and training and go to Afghanistan and, and then she saw me as an athlete, like training mm-hmm. like, a lot of discipline in my life. And she's like, how can you do all of these things? And when it comes to your family, you'll quit. And uh, Wow. This is question. a different kind of fight. This is a different kind of fight. And one of the things that, you know, certainly the Bible talks about is that it doesn't, it takes more strength to, to pull a punch than to put one in. I mean, it, it takes more strength to hold it back with all the, every ounce of your body wants to lash out and punch, it actually takes more strength not to do it. This is, this is what veterans are dealing with, you know, coming back. And you, I would think you were talking about how World War II veterans had a little more time to decompress when they're going back over to the United States and they had a month of fighting or whatever it was, a few months, and then had that, 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 those, that time to decompress. You're talking about some very practical things. And you're a faith-based organization. Why wouldn't the government pay attention to the things that you're talking about, saying that this needs to happen? You can't keep deploying these men and then expect them to turn the switch off when they walk into their home with two or three little children. You know, what's interesting is that while we're a faith-based organization, while the the government has been so against the faith-based organizations on a uh, on a unit level, We've had tremendous success in, in relationships with the military. I mean, uh, like I said, I've spoken to 250,000 active duty troops. Those are all by invitation of units asking us to come, hey, come speak to our guys, help them. Uh, we want we want to be able to put these principles into their readiness, uh, you know, for pre-deployment and when they're coming home. So we get to we get to do it on that level. And on the recovery level, uh, you know, our, our program called a legacy program where guys come to our program and we help them uh, uh, get back on their feet and re- recalibrate. Uh, most of those guys, half of those guys come on active duty military orders. 
Uh, but that's on a unit level. We're not seeing it systemically at the DOD level and the VA level. And that's where the problem is because while we're making a big impact, uh, it could be, um, we could have so much more success mm-hmm. in, in, this, in this tragedy of suicide if this would be made available to all of our troops uh, and not just at the unit level. Yeah. You know, you say that the part of the process is in looking back at your hardships and, and how do you, how do you, how does faith help you look differently at those hardships? Well, for me, when I, you know, after my, my wife gave me that challenge and I decided to get back in the fight, uh, I knew I couldn't get well on my own and I knew I couldn't do it with the people I surrounded myself by. I needed some help from people that uh, were going to hold me accountable because I had really surrounded myself by people that told me everything I wanted to hear and not what I needed to hear. And uh, so I stepped into my life was this mentor uh, who never served in the military, uh, but I met him at a Starbucks coffee shop and, and he really challenged me and he asked me, you know, what, what, what was I going to do to get better? And I gave him a plan. I'd written on a paper how I was going to fix my life. He looked at it and he told me I was going to fail. And I remember being really offended by him, but he said, if this plan doesn't have anything to do with your relationship with God, I'm not going to waste your time. I'm not going to let you waste mine. And, uh, you know, I, mm. like, I tried everything, but I hadn't really given God a chance. And so I did. Uh, and, uh, and we have a saying at Mighty Oaks Foundation, if what you're doing isn't working, then why not try something different? And everything I tried didn't work. It was time for me to try something different. And, Beyond the decision to surrender my life to Christ, Steve mentored me for an entire year in biblical living. And basically, I intentionally recalibrated my life to biblical living and the life I was created to live by not changing the past, what had happened to me, because I couldn't, uh, but changing how I responded to that. And what I discovered was as bad as some of the things that had happened to me were in my childhood in Afghanistan, all those things, as bad as those things were, those things didn't leave me to cl- that closet with my pistol in my hand. What led me there was the choices I made in response to those things. And now I'm being mentored in a new way to choose. In fact, the right way to choose, which is biblical living. And, uh, and through that, I found restoration. I found hope. And ultimately, I found purpose, again, which manifested in me having a deep burden on my heart to pay it forward to all these other warriors who were dealing with the same thing. And that resulted in the founding of our foundation. You have a Bible verse pretty much at the beginning of every chapter, um, what, what, what is your favorite Bible verse to kind of, if you could hear one um, that would get you right back on path, what would it be? You know, uh, for me, it's Isaiah 6, 8, which is, you know, here am I, send me. And, uh, you know, I, I know it's like uh, used oftentimes like a motivational verse or people like, but for me, it's uh, when it's here am I, send me, I believe that that calling for me is, being called to who God created me to be, to do what God created me to do. And I believe this season of my life, uh, while I love being a four-year Marine, I love the opportunity to serve in JSOC in Afghanistan, and I love being a, you know, winning an MMA title belt and all those cool things I got to do in my life, where I believe all those things were a culmination of events that God allowed me to experience to build a platform to do exactly what he created me to do, and it's being where I am now at Mighty Oaks Foundation, sharing the truth about how to, how to get past this veteran crisis that we're dealing with uh, and, and to help bring truth to all these warriors that are dealing with these uh, issues on the back end and prepare the next generation on the front end with spiritual resiliency. And so I look at that verse, Isaiah 6, 8, here am I, send me. I'm so thankful God gives me the opportunity to serve in his capacity and to do the work that I believe he's called me to do. Um, this is the good news. We talk about that um, they're making this book into a film, your story into a film. Is that right? Yes, they, they are. Uh, you know, we've uh, the, the book, An Unfair Advantage, is... Uh, it, it was, uh, but by the way, it's, you know, President Trump endorsed it. As it was in the Commandant Marine Corps Library. Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps endorsed it, as well as Alan West. It's got some great endorsements on it. Uh, and uh, uh, producer picked it up, Jim Clock, uh, as a Hollywood producer. 
and uh, he wanted to make it into a motion picture film, theatrical film. And we just got a director attached to it, uh, David Barrett, who's the uh, he's the director of CBS's uh, hit show Blue Bloods with Tom Selleck. And uh, so just an amazing team. The script came out incredible. I was a little scared to do this, uh, to tear my story in, into a movie because uh, obviously um, there's some very sacred things, like said, the loss of some of my buddies. But they've done just such a tremendous job of honoring those those losses and sacrifices, telling the story, and then ending it with uh, pointing to a solution uh, for other veterans that are, that are watching the film and struggling or people just in life that are struggling. They're able to point to that solution. And, uh, you know, for us, we've, we run 35 Mighty Oaks programs a year. Um, we do over $4 million a year in programming, all free to our troops and veterans and spouses, first responders. And uh, so we want to get the word out through uh, every outlet we can that these programs are available. And uh, man, a, a motion picture a film like this one, we really get the word out, be able to garner support for people that want to support us and be able to reach out to people who need the help. So I'm so excited uh, about it. I was terrified about it at first, but now I'm excited. <laughs> well, I'm excited about it too. I just hope that they keep the faith element in there because what you're saying, the truth about getting better is you've got to keep God in the picture. You got And not even in the picture, he's got to be the picture. Um, because that's going to be the authority. And I hope they keep that part in because so many of the films, when Hollywood gets hold of it, um, you know, they take out the faith element and and they really kind of destroy the whole meaning of the book. Um, Are they keeping that in it? They are. They are. And I can tell you, they do it. They did it in a way that uh, it's not a, I didn't want to make a Christian film that would only appeal to churchgoers. I wanted it to reach the people who it's the message is intended to reach, those who are lost, those who are broken, those who are struggling, those mm-hmm. who need the hope. Uh, so they've done it in that way to where it's raw, it's gritty, it's as, I mean, my story is raw. Yeah. It's, uh, it's ugly. I mean, uh, as, uh, you know, killing and uh, adultery and, and broken families and, and broken hearts, and those things need to be told. But the contrast to that is the is the the rescue and restoration of my life, the relationship with Christ, that needs to be told as well. And the contrast to that really tells the story. And they, they did it in the script in the way that it happened. And it and it's in such a, a way that I think it'll appeal to you know those who are Christians and those who are not uh, to to learn to both see that story. And so they did it in really a way that I think anyone will enjoy it, want to watch it, and uh, and be challenged by it. Well, that's fantastic. Chad Robichaud, the book is called An Unfair Advantage, Victory in the Midst of Battle of the Battle. And boy, I'll tell you, it really has some resonates. It's going to resonate with a lot of people, veterans especially. But if even if you're not a veteran, it'll it'll resonate with you. And also, I'm sure there are people you know that need to, to be reading this, um, family members of veterans, um, anyone, um, and even non-veterans can, can benefit from it because it certainly has a lot to do with um, the spiritual warfare that, that all of us are really facing, you know? So I want to thank you so much, uh, Chad, for being on Lighthouse Faith Podcast, and I thank you so much. And if, when people want to find out more about the Mighty Oaks program, how do, how do they find out about it? We go to mightyoaksprograms.org, uh, and you could, uh, at mightyoaksprograms.org, if you're a veteran or active duty spouse, first responder, you want to apply, you can apply right, uh, right there. We pay for everything in the programs, including travel, uh, so we even cover your travel. Uh, you, it's very easy to apply. If you want to support those programs uh, so we can pay for others to go, uh, you can also donate there at MightyOaksPrograms.org. And if you want to see our documentary to learn more, uh, I Am Second is hosting it right now. It's at IamSecond.com backslash never fight alone. Wow. Thank you so much, Chad, for being on Lighthouse Podcast. 
Thank you so much. It's a blessing to be on. And thank you so much for listening to Lighthouse Faith Podcast. I'm Lauren Green. Have a blessed day. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.